Well, a very good evening to you all. Welcome to the LSE, those of you who are not normally here. Uh, my name's Tony Travers. Uh, I'm from the government department here at the LSE, uh, and uh, I'm now director of British government at LSE, who, with the Fawcett Society, and particularly the Fawcett Society, are promoting this evening's mayoral debate. I want to do very, very little other than to make this welcome and uh, to thank the Fawcett Society for having the idea and coming this evening with many of their members and supporters joining <coughs> those of us at the LSE. All I'd say about British government at LSE is that it's a major initiative here at the school to promote and extend debate, study, research about British government. It is as the name is what it says it is. I'll say no more than that. I want to introduce you to your chair for the evening. Uh, Kerry has been chief executive of the Fawcett Society for two and a half years, and I'll now hand over to her and indeed to you for what I'm sure will be a very great evening. Thank you very much. Um, <coughs> good evening, everybody. So many people. Um, Thank you very much, um, Tony and um, LSE, for um, joining with us on this um, exciting evening. It's wonderful to um, see so many of you here and also to know um, how many are watching us um, via, um, via the press, social media, um, Twittering, um, to ask the question, what about women? Um, before I introduce the debate and the format and our speakers properly, um, as chair, it falls to me to do the thrilling housekeeping. Um, first of all, to let you know, we will be tweeting live from this event, so please all do tweet away. Um, our Twitter hashtag for the hustings is hash whataboutwomen. Um, we're not expecting a fire drill, um, so if there is an alarm, please do follow the signage outside of the building. Um, please can everybody, including our esteemed panel members, turn their mobiles to silent. Um, and also, um, we are being recorded, pod podcasted, filmed, and photographed for posterity, <laughs> just to let everybody know. Um, just to introduce a bit about the hustings themselves, as you know, um, Fawcett Society, our vision, is one where women and our rights enjoy equal value and respect and where we have equal power and influence not only on decisions to affect our own lives but on the wider world and like our founders um, who fought for the right to vote though whilst we see this as really important for women themselves we also see this as part of our ambitions for our wider society and the potential for all that we can be. Um, and, but we think that whilst women and women's equality remains a lesser concern or an afterthought, we are going to want for progress in many areas of political endeavour. Um, so let's just look, for example, at some of the mainstream political holy grails that have been dominating this election so far. For example, growing a strong competitive economy, bringing back faith in politics, safe and strong communities that support and don't turn on each other supporting creativity and innovation in art, science and cultures, creating a green and sustainable city for now and the future. None of these things will be realized until women's equality is seen not just as icing on the cake for the good times, but as a key ingredient for building a stronger London. So on the eve of this election and this debate, where have we got to? 
Of course, women are a really diverse group. We're not all homogenous and one and the same, but we can look at the facts, and of course, Fawcett has been. And I think we can say quite assuredly we are still facing some pretty stark inequalities here in London. We have now, excuse the phrasing, uh, what we would call a perfect storm, the age of austerity being combined with a series of policy choices that are either completely blanking women or are being based on assumptions about our lives or what our role should be, which frankly I thought had gone with the age of teletext. <laughs> this is combining with existing structural inequalities which are there from accumulative inaction or at least very glacial action from administration after administration after administration in this city and nationally. Here we are in 2012 presented with some of the very same inequalities I saw debated eight years ago at the first mayoral election and our recent report on women in London shows that we're not just stuck in time, we're actually at a risk of going backwards which really does concern us at Fawcett Towers. Um, we can look at any range of indicators and you've seen our report but just to give you a flavour we've got a pay gap which is 50% um, wider in London average, uh, national average. Childcare is a third more expensive. We have more sexual assaults on women and black women, um, whilst they make up 5% of the public sector workforce, are making up 23% of redundancies. Um, so yes, of course, our report makes it sound bleak, but force it, and many of you, I hope, and many of our candidates actually see the cup as half full, because we do believe that in time this will change. It will change because something's so wrong must write itself, um, but I hope, like the panel that's sitting back and waiting for the forces of light to come along, isn't enough. Um, so we know that the Mayor of London is in a hugely powerful position to make a difference. Um, they can directly use their own powers. They can promote London as a good practice model um, on women's equality more broadly. Um, there's also quite a bit that would-be leaders can do of all political colours, even before the ballot is cast, including give a prop giving proper thought to and setting out how their policies will deliver for women. And this is what this event is here to do tonight. Um, both Fawcett and LSE were really keen to create a space um, in this debate that shone a spotlight on women's equality. And invite, we invited the four leading mayoral candidates along to pitch their offer, I suppose, and answer questions. So I'd like to start, first of all, by really thanking Brian and Ken and Jenny for coming along as mayoral candidates. It shows real commitment on their part. <laughs> and it gives a powerful message. It sends a hugely powerful message on their priorities that clearly for them women are not a fringe concern. But I would also like very much to thank Victoria Borup, yes. who is not only the lone mayoral candidate, but has agreed to the task of representing Boris Johnson, <laughs> who <laughs> has declined our invitation. And we really appreciate this, Victoria, I mean, quite genuinely, because political balance is key. And if women's equality is not seen as a cross-party issue, we will not get the progress that we want. So Victoria is here to balance the debate, and we thank her for doing that. Um, there's something I wanted to briefly address. We are aware at Fawcett and LSE that there has been some concern um, that we did not invite all of the seven mayoral candidates. I would like to very briefly address this because I do not want it to take up time in the substantive debate. I've talked about our aims for this event. We felt that to have all seven candidates in 90 minutes would be neither practical nor desirable. We want time for some proper debate and questions from those who we think are most likely to be in City Hall. 
We had to draw the line somewhere. We draw it. We did it what we thought was most fair. Um, and we did it on those who got the parties who polled more than 10% um, at the last um, election. We could have used polling as a guideline, but that's completely under dispute. So we wanted an indisputable <laughs> um, line. Um, we're not deaf to those concerns. I just wanted to say that we are acutely aware of our own practice. We always try and do the right thing. We are going to continue to review, is this the best way to get women's equality on the agenda and work in a new political landscape, which I'm sure you'll recognize as seeing all of these institutions changing. But for now, tonight, we have four candidates who are raring to go, and I really hope we can focus on them, as would-be leaders, what they would do in real terms for women in the capital. In terms of the form, for, format, you're first going to hear from each of the candidates for like a two-minute pitch, um, and then we're going to take a series of questions, I think five from large parts of the women's sector or women's organisation, a bit like question time, we know what the questions are, but I'm going to share it, I hope, at a brisk speed, so we will have some time at the end for more open questions from the floor. Um, I hope that is amenable um, to people. Um, so without further ado, um, I'm going to move on to our candidates. I'm going to introduce them as we go along. Um, so first of all speaking, we have um, Jenny Jones, who is the Green candidate. She served as Deputy Mayor of London in 2003-04 and has been a member of the London Assembly since 2000. Thank you. You're going to hear a lot about all of our policies this evening, but I would like to say to start, to sort of put a framework around all the things I'm going to say. I am an egalitarian, and I, I feel that very deeply. But at the same time, I'm a feminist, and I also believe in quotas. But I think that this still, I can still be an egalitarian because I can see the greater good for all that these things can give us. Because the fact that 51% of the population still is not represented at almost every level of government and on companies is, is shameful. And it's time our government definitely did something about it. Now, the green vision for London is for a more equal, healthy and affordable city. And we want to make housing more affordable. This, we have one of the most dysfunctional housing markets in Britain, and we have reached the pitch when housing simply isn't affordable, and quite often even the private rented sector isn't affordable. We want to get more of London's families out of poverty and take real action on the growing pay gap. This, of course, affects women much more. The savage government cuts that we've seen happening over the past two years and are, that are going to happen into the future actually hit women hardest, and that means they also hit children hardest. And we want to make sure that every young Londoner is offered a job or an apprenticeship. We also want to create a transport strategy for London that focuses on affordable fares, investing in improvements, reducing congestion, tackling air pollution and making the streets safer for all road users, but especially pedestrians and cyclists. We also want City Hall to provide practical help and advice and support for the capital's businesses and local entrepreneurs and to rebuild trust between the police and the communities that at the moment is failing so badly. We have to get officers out from behind their desks and we have to fight the cuts. We have to reverse the cuts to community and policing. 15 seconds left. The f <laughs> it goes so quickly. But <clears throat> the green vision is one that actually benefits women probably more than any other section of society and I look forward to explaining more of them to you. Thank you.
thank you very much um, for opening. I'm now going to move um, swiftly on um, to um, Brian Paddock, who is uh, the Liberal Democrat candidate. Brian began his career in the Metropolitan Police Service, rising to Assistant Deputy Commissioner until 2007. This is the second time um, he has stood as a mayoral candidate for Liberal Democrats. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. I'm, I'm very happy to, to be here. Uh, my 92-year-old mother continues to educate me. When I told her that I was coming here, she informed me today that she, for the first time that she was a member of the Six Point Group. Uh, some people might know what that is. Um, I, um, of course, behind every gay man there is a powerful mother, or that's <laughs> the theory anyway. Um, I absolutely uh, support equal pay for women, and I think in the same way that the Mayor of London um, Act, supports actively a living wage for London. I think that the Mayor of London, and I will be as Mayor of London, outspoken on equal pay. Uh, the anomalies that still exist, especially underpayment uh, of women who are in part-time jobs. I'm very happy to say that as far as politics is concerned, five of the top six Liberal Democrats on the London-wide list which you will also be voting for on the 3rd of May, the London-wide list for the London Assembly, uh, are women, uh, including my candidate for Deputy Mayor, Caroline Pigeon. Right. Of the three current Liberal Democrat members of the London Assembly, two of them are women. As Mayor, I want to address the real issues in the police and in wider society about the way women are treated, how women are portrayed, and the way they are perceived. In particular, I believe that there is a need for a real culture change, particularly in the police, where survivors of rape, for example, are often treated with more suspicion than the men that they accuse. We recognize that women are disproportionately represented amongst low earners, and the Liberal Democrats nationally are close to achieving what we set out in our manifesto, to have a personal allowance of 10,000 pounds benefiting those uh, on low incomes. In London, we want to do what we can to, to narrow the gap between rich and poor, uh, for example, targeting fare reductions on those least able to pay. And that's 15 seconds. You may think that a gay man uh, who understands women's issues is counterintuitive, but as I hope we will find out during the course of this evening, the Liberal Democrats will definitely be worth voting for on the 3rd of May. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, Brian. Um, and now we move on to um, Victoria Borock, um, who is um, a Conservative member of the London Assembly, has been a Kensington and Chelsea councillor since 2002. She's been actively involved in several mayoral elections indeed running for the Conservative nomination to be Mayor of London in 2008, it came second, yeah. second to Boris. Um, but if only. If only. <laughs> God. <laughs> um, so without further ado, please Victoria, do take the floor. Thank you. Good evening. Boris has a long-standing commitment tonight and didn't want to let people down, so he is sorry not to be here himself. However, he did assure me that one of his relatives was Millicent Fawcett, 
So he hopes that we're going to have a good debate. Turning to tonight, what about women in London? Well, I was born in London. I've worked and lived in London all my life and brought my family up in London. So what is important? What matters to women and to families is that often we have the caring roles as well as the economic ones. So we need a mayor who we can trust with our money. Boris has reduced the council tax, streamlined the costs at City Hall, and he has proved that he knows it's important to keep the money in people's pockets and get the best value out of every taxpayer's money a pound that he spends. The next important point, of course, is feeling safe and knowing that my family are safe when they're out and about. So I'm pleased that Boris's record shows that crime overall is down 11% and crime on buses is down 30%, on tubes 20%. And Boris has guaranteed that he will continue to tackle crime on the public transport system with an additional 700 officers across the network. Boris has proved he cares about the environment and our communities by investing in green spaces with 300 acres of new green space and play areas and 10,000 extra street trees planted. But most importantly, he is the most accessible mayor. You can see him every day on his bicycle or taking public transport <laughs> and therefore he can see for himself what's actually going on on our streets. So this election is a choice about taking London back or continuing to move forward. Continuing to make London safer, greener, creating jobs and increasing investment in public transport which helps our economic <coughs> opportunities and our flexibility to find work. Boris has fought and got a good deal from number 10 for London so I hope that actually you will judge Boris on his achievements and continue to support him to take his plans forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, Victoria. And um, last but not least, um, I please ask um, Ken Livingstone. He's a Labour candidate for mayor elections. Um, throughout his life he's held elected positions both locally and in London and in Peter the May Party and he was previously Mayor of London from 2000 to 2008. Welcome, thank you, Ken. Thank you. <clears throat> Can I start by saying thank you. We've had many hustings, but when you've got a hustings devoted to women, we're addressing issues that affect the majority of Londoners. And the central issue at this election is who will help Londoners get through the worst times for eight years. And given that women are at the bottom of almost every pile in our society, policies geared to do that disproportionately will affect women. The biggest single issue that impacts on Londoners in terms of their, their standard of living is fares. And I've made it clear I'll cut the fares so that the average fare payer, public transport user, will save £1,000 over the four years 
and if you're in zone 6 that would even be £1,700 and given some people seem to doubt this so I can't imagine why because I've cut them by 30% by 25 and 10% this is the smallest cut I've ever made um, to reassure that I made it clear if I don't cut those fares by 7% across the board by the 7th of October this year I will resign the Tory Mayor is committed to raising fares 2% above inflation every year if he's re-elected. <laughs> we already have the highest fares in the world. I'll also provide grants and loans to support the upfront costs of childcare. And this Tory government slashed the funding for Shorestart, just <coughs> as this Tory mayor cut the 20 million budget I'd won from government for childcare. I'll bring back the education maintenance allowance for young Londoners, which gives the, the poorest students 30 quid a week to actually um, continue their studies. And when it was abolished by the government, our Tory mayor did nothing um, to actually step in and provide the funding for that. I'll use City Hall's buying power so we can cut our energy bills. We have had a £300 increase per annum uh, over the last four years in energy, and an energy co-op can do that, as in America and in parts of Europe. I will set up a lettings agency to cut, or, cut the, the rip-off 10 or 11 percent commission that landlords have to pay and tenants have to pay simply um, to the lettings agencies. Knife crime, robbery and burglary are all up under this mayor and yet he's cut police by 2,100 over the last two years. I will bring those numbers back and make sure they're patrolling the streets and putting women's issues at the centre of their policing strategy. Women have borne the brunt of this government's cuts, whether it's reducing sure start or scrapping the working families tax credit or cuts to the public sector. In all of these things, it's women who've been worst affected. I will use the mayor's powers to bring back um, the child care grants, challenge the pay glass ceiling and discrimination in employment, and reverse the mayor's purge of women from senior positions at City Hall. Uh, my deputy will be Val Shawcross. Really she will be in now, charge of the transport budget. Thank you. Thank you again, candidates, and all of you, for being so disciplined and to the point. That's brilliant. Um, so we're going to move on to now the first section, which is some um, questions which have kind of been kind of pre-submitted from groups of women's organisations. Um, can I ask questioners, um, first of all, um, please to use your platform to ask your question and not to have uh, an additional speech so we can hear as much from the candidates and also to try and limit your questions to within broadly the, 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 the mayoral powers. Um, so our first question is on the economy and um, it's from Annalise Johns from the Women's Budget Group. Annalise. Oh, there you are. Sorry. Hi, thanks, Kerry. Um, the mayor has a budget of $14.6 How will you ensure it is spent in a way that advances gender equality rather than worsening women's inequality? Specifically, will you commit to assessing and publicizing the impact of your proposed budgetary measures on women and men? Okay, so you've got a very big budget. Are you going to use it in a way that tackles women's inequality? And are you specifically going to commit to um, assess your measures on how they'll impact women? I'm going to start off with uh, Brian. I think it's absolutely essential that whatever the policy is uh, City Hall comes up with, that there is an equality assessment 
uh, an equality audit of that policy to make sure that it does not disproportionately uh, negatively impact on women is the first thing. The second thing is to make sure that um, women are well represented in the senior positions at City Hall. And whilst, you know, the, where you can catch these employers out, it's a bit like stop and search. Uh, every individual case can probably be justified on the facts, but it's when you aggregate things up, that's when you see that women are not being treated equally by organisations. So we need to also audit the big organisations in London uh, to see... Uh, what the pay differentials are in those organisations and if necessary as I said in my opening remarks name and shame those organisations where there is a pay disparity okay each individual as I say each individual case can be justified but it's when you aggregate up all those figures that's when you see the true picture and that is what we need to do the mayor is in a very powerful position to influence business uh, to influence uh, uh, in, uh, commerce across London and he needs to he or she needs to use that in order uh, to make sure that women's uh, equality is championed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, okay, some quite um, clear commitments there. Victoria? Well, let's look at what's actually happening at City Hall at the moment. Of course, when many of the Mayor's top team are already women, Isabel Dedring has probably the, one of the most important portfolios looking after transport. Pam Chester's a host of um, important issues under health and public services. Munira Mirza, let's not go through the whole, the whole group. But also, of course, under Boris, we've seen uh, um, the first Assistant Commissioner so of the police. So, and again, uh, there was at one point um, during the recent um, four years when we had over 50% of the top table at the police were, were women before they were then promoted on to run other forces. So we can only trust Boris to continue to lead by example. Certainly, I think it's absolutely right that we should make sure that no policies that we bring in should be unfair to women. And Boris has looked at bringing in more part-timers. In fact, over 50% of the starters at City Hall have been women. And it's a great place to work as far as job share and looking after women's interests and letting people work flexibly in order to cope with their childcare arrangements. And it's living by example. So we know it's important. So I absolutely support the question. And I think you're absolutely right that we should obviously try and make sure that other London <coughs> employers act in that same responsible manner. Um, and in terms of the specific question on whether or not you'd publish assessments of whether or not these policies were fair, do you? Well, we already publish in, um, equality impact assessments, so that okay. will be a continuing what's already happening. Okay, thank you very much. And then we'll, um, um, sorry, we'll go to Ken then. Well, I, when we introduced the London Living Wage and we insisted that those doing contractual work with um, the GLA um, paid it, the initial rumblings from the, the, the businesses that it will be a big disaster. Within a year they'd come back, because it's £2 an hour more than the, the minimum wage. Within a year they came back, it's been wonderful. Staff turnovers down, productivity's up, sickness is up, treating people a bit better has an immediate economic impact in every firm. And having got that success, I think we need to start setting real standards about what firms do in terms of ensuring they're not discriminating against women if they want to do business with City Hall. Mm -hmm. And therefore we'll uh, have an equal pay commissioner and an equalities advisor to oversee all this. And I think actually might, what might be best if we ask the Fawcett Society to actually publish the assessment of how we're doing mm -hmm. so it's objective because I have to say I never saw any bureaucracy publish a self-assessment that wasn't wonderful. 
<laughs> okay, and on that um, gauntlet thrown down to us, um, Jenny. Thank you. Um, it's great coming last because I can correct some of the things that have been said earlier, if that's okay. <laughs> um, yes, I would definitely publish it. Uh, the equality impact assessments at the JLA aren't worth the paper they're written on, quite honestly. And um, at City Hall, I would have a team of people <clears throat> around me as advisors and, and people working there who would be the best possible people for the jobs and I can guarantee you at least half would, would be women because we need to change the look of everything that's happening. It's great we've got so many women on the platform here, great we've got so many women in the audience but we need to see women in positions of real power and authority. Um, there was an article in The Guardian um, this week about Iceland that's more or less being run by women at the moment and they've dragged it out of the economic... Um, um, <laughs> uh, mud that it's been in and um, are actually taking it forward in a much more cooperative um, female way of doing things and I, I think that's fantastic. It's an image for London that I would, I would like to see. Um, on the police, I think we have fewer senior women police at the moment. They have left wholesale and part of that has been all the changes. Three commissioners we've had leave from the police. It has destabilised the police. Very few women now in senior positions. So it really, it's nothing to be proud of. We need to change the look of governments and companies. Okay, thank you very much. Does anybody very briefly, do you want to come back on anything? Or we have to move on? Yeah, sorry. Um, just, just taking up what Victoria said, I think it's telling that Victoria is the only conservative uh, a, a female Conservative member of the London Assembly at the moment and <laughs> I think do the things go together? I don't know. Uh, um, and and our, my understanding is that, that it's very unlikely that the Conservatives will have any Assembly members uh, come the 3rd of May, any female uh, assembly members. Well, I'm just gonna I think there might be some. Any final comments Whereas, on the economy? Because we're moving on to this in a minute, this particular subject. So, well, I think, yeah. you know, in terms of, 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 you know, the point was about women in senior positions mm. at City Hall. Two out of three of the current Liberal Democrat assembly members are women. Five out of six of the top candidates for the Liberal Democrats are on the current uh, list uh, are women. <laughs> okay, thank you. I'm going to move on to the next question because it's quite relevant to those points. So the next one is on women's representation. It's from um, Alex Runwick from Counting Women in Coalition. There are a number of concerted ways that the Mayor of London could take positive action to ensure that women are equally represented on boards responsible for strategic policy thinking and operational delivery of services in London. What will the Mayor do to ensure that the boards that he or she is responsible for appointing members do Boards where women are currently underrepresented, such as the Transport for London Board and the London Skills and Employment Board, have equal representation of women. Great, thank you very much. So just to recap, again, um, there's a lot of things um, that the Mayor could do, including positive action to up the women, particularly on key committees um, in the Assembly, such as Transport for London, London Skills and Employment Board. What would you do, Victoria? Well, I think, I, I think the important point is you're absolutely right. It's to raise the profile of the issue. But frankly, I don't think women want to be appointed on anything other than merit. And therefore, we've got to deserve those positions. And we've got to work together as the sisterhood in order that we make sure that we do actually help each other. And I do seriously think that. I have found, as chairman of the Civil Liberties Panel, where I've worked with Jenny on various topics, that actually, out of the line of political debate, we've all worked really well together in order to actually get things done. So I think it's not a point of just the numbers game. The important point is to get the right people there on merit. And yes, women should help other women. <coughs> Thank you. Ken, what do you... Well, 
I, it's exactly 30 years ago to the month that I, the Greater London Council established the Women's Committee and the Women's Unit. And if you actually wanted to see, you know, diners or media at work, you go back and look at the press cuttings, the whole world went mad. Now, we've come so far in that it's taken for granted in the Labour Party that you try and ensure that you get uh, a proper number of women into particular posts. And I think it's time to take that just one stage further and say on these particular bodies that the questioner mentioned, we should just start on the assumption it could be 50-50 and people can apply from, uh, on merit. And I have to say the influx of young people that come in uh, to my campaign, there's absolutely no shortage of people ready to pr um, promote um, from the, the young women that have come in and will be working. In my eight years as mayor, my deputy was always a woman. A, I had, if I think amongst my senior team, Merson in Parchment, a, who was basically troubleshooting around the whole area of finance and other issues. I, Joy Johnson handled the media. Jude Woodward um, handled arts and culture. Anne McMill was director of finance. Annie Marjoram was my woman's officer. And Janet Worth was our head of HI. We actually had a, pretty much a 50-50 team there without setting that specific target. I think it's time to move on and set that target, and I will do so. Great, thank you very much. So that's <coughs> some quite specific commitments from Ken there. Jenny, you talked about supporting this earlier. What quotas. specifically would you do? Well, we definitely need quotas. I, like Victoria, I believe in sisterhood, and we have worked incredibly well. The women on the Assembly have worked well together. We've, we've supported each other, even when we don't agree. We've allowed each other airtime, and we have actually got things changed. Uh, between us. So it, we have made an impact by being sisterly. And being sisterly is great, but it's not enough. You have to give women a helping hand. I believe that quotas are the way forward. We have to have a quota of 50% women on every single board that, uh, that uh, the GLA controls. And we also have to nag other companies. I've spoken to several CEOs over the past 10 years and said to them, how many women do you have on the board? And they've well, one, if you're lucky, mm. and and they say, but women don't come forward. There aren't women there, you know, doing, you know, with these the skills, like which of course it's absolute nonsense. And there is an organisation called Women on Board, and I think that whoever is elected on May the fourth should sit down and talk to them about very practical ways of taking forward this agenda. Thank you. Um, Brian, you mentioned you approve of women's influence, so let's hear what were you. Uh, I absolutely believe in positive action to make sure that we create a level playing field, whether we're talking about sex discrimination or any other sort of discrimination. But I am against any form of discrimination, whether it's positive <laughs> or negative. Um, I think the essential thing about appointing people to boards is that we don't have what we have had in the past under both mayors, which is people not being appointed objectively, but friends or pals of the mayor being appointed to key positions. And I think if we actually had an objective uh, selection process for senior appointments, uh, we should, certainly shouldn't uh, limit it to uh, a 50-50 quota because if we look at the academic achievements of women, then I think we should be up to 60-70% women in senior positions. Okay, I don't know whether um, Ken or Victoria want to come back on the whole, you know, party interests or you would I? Should I outbid Brian and say no? I'll be 100%? No. <laughs> Well, actually, yeah, that would be a good, that would be a good yeah, Twitter headline. No, okay, fine, and people are happy to... Uh... <laughs>
Happy to move There's on no then. Answer to that. Okay. 100% from Ken, sorry. No, no, it was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> Before it passes into the... the <laughs> yeah, no, no. To be clear, but that was a joke. <laughs> to, to, and, and if I can be clear, if women are absolutely uh, the best people for the job, then there should be 100% women on a board. Right. Good. Okay, I'll make it 110 then. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to move on. Um, we're going to move on for the next question. Um, the next one, um, unfortunately, is... Um, about women and girls who perhaps are getting nowhere near boards. It's a question against, on violence against women, and it's from uh, Sarah Green from the End Violence Against Women Coalition. Hi. Uh, since 2010, London has had a, a very good strategy on ending violence against women, all forms of violence against women, so including domestic and sexual violence, uh, forced marriage, FGM, prostitution and trafficking. Um, I'd like to know from all the candidates, will, are you committed to renewing and improving this strategy and ensuring that uh, the Mayor and the Assembly do as much as is possible to make London super safe for women and to ending, preventing all forms of violence against women? Thanks. Thank you. I'm going to come to Ken first on that. Well, I think the, the key here is actually getting the police to make this central. Absolutely. One of the biggest things that led to the fall in the murder rate was when, in my administration, we pressured the police to recognise that an act of domestic violence wasn't just like to be a one-off, it was like to be repeated again and again. And uh, that was, in many instances, would lead eventually to a murder. And the police started to take this series to monitor it, and that was a key factor in what was a quite dramatic um, decline in the murder rate. And so I think we've just got to set those targets very seriously for police right away across the board. I also worry generally uh, about the, just the scale of sex trafficking we've got in the city. We had a, uh, a, a sort of display um, when I was mayor in Trafalgar Square showing absolutely how horrendously squalid this trade is. And I think in a sense we've drifted into an assumption that, well, the sex trade is largely a matter of choice and it really isn't. It's at the centre of organised crime. I also worry very much about just, I mean, if you're a news agent in this city, you can't tell the distributor you don't wish to have pornographic magazines. They come. You're not allowed um, to say, I don't want that stuff on display in my shop. It's sent out. I also worry very much about what has been the long-term impact as kids grow up looking at the newspapers in the house of the sort of page three culture we've all got. And whilst the mayor has no power over that, the mayor has power over advertising <coughs> on the buses and the tube, and I think be very rigorous that there isn't the sort of stigmatisation and the abuse of women um, creeping into our advertising. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. And just for the other uh, panel members, I think we've actually got uh, another question specifically on uh, kind of media and, and representation coming up later, just so you know that. Um, so, um, specific question, will you commit to renewing and improving the, the violence against women strategy, um, Victoria? Absolutely. Boris can certainly stand on his record now. We used to have one rape crisis centre, and we now have four in every part of London. And over 16,000 women have already been helped this year. It's something 
that Boris and Kit have taken really, really seriously. They've put together an excellent violence against women and girls strategy. There's a lot of um, charity and other people here, I don't know if anyone here is actually on the board, but it's something that they really have taken seriously and very much appreciate the issues out there. They've also not shied away from talking about harmful cultural practices, some of which of course were highlighted in this weekend's um, newspapers. And there's no point pretending that these things don't happen. We need to air them and we need to deal with them sensitively so they don't actually go underground. And we need to be brave enough to actually talk about them so that we can hopefully work with the various faith groups and try and prevent this abuse of women. There's also a new unit called Nowhere to Go, which has been done with the Eves charity. And so again, it's trying to help women who are stuck they're in a terrible position, they don't know what to do and they need somewhere to go. So as I said to you, this is something that Boris has, has really taken, taken seriously. We've seen more police on the streets. And why? Because we've gone in for single patrolling. It's always seemed to be really odd to me that you, me, social workers, everyone else is supposed to walk about the, police, uh, the streets on our own. So why shouldn't our police? We need to embed the police in communities. Because as Bernard Hogan Howe said last week, the police are the most successful when the public and the communities trust their local police. So it is really, really serious. This, I think, is one of the most important issues we're going to talk about tonight, because that's something that the mayor absolutely has direct influence on. And I can assure you that Kit and his team and Boris take this matter very, very seriously and have worked very hard to put together an excellent strategy, which is already showing results across London. Okay, thank you very much. Um, please mention there, Brian. Come in there. Um, of course, uh, I support the strategy, and I will do everything I can as mayor to support that. Uh, strategies are one thing. Um, action, uh, unfortunately, is another. And I know from personal experience, Ian Blair, when he first became commissioner, asked me to do uh, a report in, into the way that the Met investigated rape. And in some parts of London, we were having 60%, 70% of allegations of rape uh, written off as if they had never happened, whereas in other uh, places it was as low as 10%, uh, 20%. And the conclusion that we came to was that there was clearly um, a, a, a flaw in the performance of the police in the way that they <coughs> dealt with rape investigation. Uh, that conclusion that Professor Betsy Stanko, an expert on violence against women, and I um, put into that report was taken out because it was too critical of the police. Well, on May the 3rd, you're not only voting for a mayor, you are voting for the police and crime commissioner. The police and crime commissioner alone holds the police to account, sets the priorities for the police. Please give me the chance to implement that report that Betsy Stanko and I did in full, and I promise you that I will make uh, the treatment of survivors of rape a priority, and that we make sure the police actually take people seriously and actually believe the victims of rape. Thank you very much. And again, we've had some very uh, specific commitments there, I think, not just from the strategy, but actually what you would do. Jenny, would you like to yes. follow on that? On, on? Sarah, thanks for the question. Uh, yes to your, your specific question about um, uh, taking it forward. I mean, improving, I think, is, is a crucial word there. We have to get uh, improvements in it. it. It's a massive 
topic and it is a lot about policing because I think the policing do need training I mean yes specifically for rape victims but all, also for women with female genital mutilation for honor killings for for forced marriage all these things they do need um, uh, uh, some good training so that they know how to handle the women from the from the very beginning um, and uh, th there's lots of commitments in our manifesto, do read it if you've got time, um, and there's things like um, one-stop shops for domestic violence in every borough, um, real action on the sex trade. I, I've been asking Seb Kerr about this, about the Olympics, and he's been saying there's absolutely no evidence that big sporting events bring in more sex workers Rubbish. and, and, and <coughs> of course, um, and sex slaves, women who are actually brought in um, against their will. Um, and I keep saying that's not true, and he says it is, you know, but anyway, we, we've just been endlessly arguing about it. But, um, and then, of course, there's late-night transport as well, keeping women safe mm -hmm. when they're travelling so that they feel free to move around the city mm -hmm. late at night. And, and, you know, it's their right, just as it is um, for every man. And so it's, it's a big, complex topic and you have to act on all fronts on it um, thank you Jenny made a very good point about some specifics about um, improving you know the current strategy and I think you talked about is obviously past commitments actions have you thought any thoughts about how Boris Pitt could improve what they're doing or additional things or is there anything in your manifesto well yes I mean the thing is obviously there's a whole manifesto specifically on crime because mm -hmm. it's such an important issue mm -hmm. so yes it's very much working with this excellent report that's come out working through um, bringing those things to, to practice because obviously it's working with all the third sector organisations working across London and the most important thing particularly going back to the rape crisis centres is actually we've got guaranteed funding for those. These are, these are not Johnny-come-lately just arrived. These are things that are sustainable. So all the things that I've talked about are all sustainable and all fully funded and will be still here in four years' time so that we can continue to build up and tackle this important issue. Kerry, I imagine we'd all um, say that we would carry on with the four rate crisis sure, centres and, and, you know, um, it, it is one good thing that Boris did. And <laughs> Although okay. it took him ages and ages to find the funding, was, and he had to be chased and chased to do it. Make something. Okay, so we're happy. We're happy to uh, leave that particular topic. So that's good. There are quite a lot of um, commitments from across the panel. Um, we have a question now, um, tacking away, but some relation um, on kind of women in media and attitudes to women. Um, this is from um, Anna Van Huswick from Object. Object. Anna. Ah, sorry. Thank you. Do you recognise the harmful effects of the objectification of women in mainstream media? And do you support concrete action on this, such as the recommendations made at the Leveson Inquiry by Object and partners to extend pre-watershed broadcast-type restrictions on sexually objectifying material to newspapers which are not age-restricted as a means of stopping the page three portrayal of women in our press? Okay, I'm going to come to Jenny first. I'm just going to recap because, good question, there's about three questions in there. So for the benefit yes. of the panel, yes. I'll just do that. Number one, do you recognise the harmful effects of the objectification of women in mainstream media? Point one. Secondly, if you do, or, or not, either way, do you support concrete action on this? And I think an example was given. There was an object and others made a submission to the Leveson Inquiry the other day. It got a lot of press. And I think they made a specific suggestion that they could extend the pre-watershed broadcast restrictions of sexually objectifying imagery 
to, uh, to newspapers which are not age-restricted, and I think that would include mm -hmm. The Sun. Is that correct? Okay, so there's kind of, there's three there, are we? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to start with you, Jenny. Thank you. Um, my team is really uh, nervous about the fact I could uh, uh, add things to our manifesto at this stage, but I would say, yes, I definitely recognise <laughs> um, the problem, and it... Uh, it is infuriating. Yes, I would like to take concrete action. I'm not sure about the watershed. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about that and, um, and, and take it to the party. We have a very, very democratic way of getting all our policy together. So for me to make it up on the hoof is, um, is considered a real no-no. A real um, so I, I am sorry about that. But um, again, uh, I, I don't know if you've followed this stuff um, on Mary Beard the academic who's been presenting the programme on Romans, she's had the most horrendous, horrendous attacks on her looks and, well, mainly on her looks, you know. She's not allowed to have long grey hair and not wear makeup and look a bit sort of, well, I don't know what you, you know, I mean, I don't think she's worse than Boris. It's, so, and, I don't um, think Boris wears makeup either. And, um, <laughs> And I think it's absolutely appalling. And okay. the one good thing about it has, it has been how many women have turned out, and men have turned out to support her and say, tell them all to, um, you know, go away. <laughs> okay, Brian. <coughs> yes, I, I absolutely uh, recognise the, the harmful effects of the objectification of women. Um, you know, I saw examples of it when I was in the police. You know, this isn't just, um, you know, a women's rights issues. This is about creating a more dangerous society for women as a result of uh, this objectification. Um, of course, you know, as Mayor of London, uh, you always with these things, there are things that you can do in law. Uh, so, for example, uh, as I know Ken Livingstone did when, when he was mayor, banning... Um, uh, adverts, for example, on public transport that objectify women, uh, and clearly that's something that, that I would support. Um, but of course the mayor has uh, influence. It's the second largest personal mandate, people voting for one person in Western Europe outside of the, the second, second to the president of France, and that's an enormous amount of personal power that you get. So it doesn't matter that it's not within the mayor's remit to have, you know, to impose a watershed-type um, uh, ban on objectification of women in publications that are not age-restricted. But it is something that are clearly I would support, and I was, you know, and I am speaking uh, as Brian Paddock here, as I'm speaking as me. Uh, that is something that I would certainly want to, because I have seen the devastating effects uh, that um, violence against women can have. Um, it is something that I would personally uh, commit to. Okay, so we've got some, again, very specific commitments. I'm going to come down to you, Victoria, and then you last, Ken. Thank you. Well, certainly, I think we all recognise this is an issue, but actually I'd also like to add the internet into that because, and it follows on really from what Jenny was saying, because looking at the media over the last 24 hours, they've talked about the easy access to pornography and actually the devastating effects that has caused in families. And I think we as parents and families and carers also need to realise that we have a responsibility here. Um, young people are the victims as well as the perpetrators often. And I do think it's an important issue. I think you're absolutely right. 
it's a case of using our influence to say, you know, what is the right thing that we should be doing as, as, as families and carers? Um, certainly, I have my reservations, and I don't like having to explain to my family things before 9 o'clock, so I'm, I'm slightly on your side. But on the other hand, um, I do think we've also got to, as I say, include other media in that uh, watershed. Okay, thanks very much. Well, I mean, I don't think there's going to be any disagreement with anything Aaron said. I agree with everything that's been said before, except I think I'm very worried about the watershed because I used to be, my first job at, at County Hall was I was deputy chair of the film viewing committee. And the sort of films then that were centre of controversy now are there nine o'clock on, on the TV, on the terrestrial channels. And the most specific, I remember this huge row in the early 90s about the film Basic Instinct with Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas. And there's a scene in there which the then Board of Film Censors <laughs> took out because in it Michael Douglas rapes his unwilling um, girlfriend anally. And now on Channel 4 that scene is shown just after 9 o'clock. And I think there's a constant drift here. And I do think, therefore, a much more vigorous sort of policing, I mean, not, not, not in that term, of this. Otherwise, where are we going to be another 10 years down the road? And I really don't, I mean, if I'm out the room and my kids watch that, I mean, how am I going to know? I mean, parents haven't got that ability to police their kids all the time. And I don't want them seeing stuff like that. Okay, so there's, there seems to be quite a lot of agreement on that, though. I think, actually, when you got down to the specifics of how you could mm. police that or address it, there's probably a lot more debate and questions, and perhaps it might be something can you it, want to ask about later on. Oh, sorry, did you have can, Yeah, article? can I just say, as, as a Liberal, my major concern is about the danger that objectivation, uh, ob objectification of women uh, it puts women in. Uh, that's my major concern. Uh, rather than censorship uh, uh, around pornography. Um, and, you know, you just have to, you know, how, how much objectification is there of men? You know, this is a completely unbalanced issue. And it really does put uh, women in a dangerous position when you have things like page three of the sun uh, routinely, which is, you know, and, and we have to do something about it. Okay, thank you. So I'm going to move on, unless someone's got any final comments on that, to the last kind of. Uh, pre-question we know about and then we're going to be open to the floor so if you're thinking about asking questions then I'll be I'll be taking them soon but the last one we know about is on uh, kind of work and family life the balance thereof um, this is from Liz Gardner from the Working Parents Coalition Hi I'd like to know what the mayor will do to address the low levels of maternal employment in London um, how will you increase the amount of quality part-time work that's available? For example, will you commit to making sure that all city hall jobs are advertised on a flexible or part-time basis? And how will you improve access to affordable childcare? Okay, so that's, um, first of all, and what would the Mayor do to directly address the low level of maternal employment in London? And I, we touched on this earlier, there's a new report just coming out showing that women in London who are mothers, there's a lot less of them in in the workplace so some practical what are you going to do about um, part-time work for example or access to affordable childcare? Ken I'm going to start with you on this one. I, I, I would imagine that City Hall already does accept flexible and part-time working and that will continue. I think that the, the key problem here is the sort of rolling, I mean you've got this real problem, 
in London it can take you on average 40 minutes to get to work outside London it's usually about 20 that makes it much more difficult for some to get back into work if they've got to get kids to school and pick them up at the end of the day and also just the cost of childcare is why so many more women are out of work in this city and there's one pot of money Boris is leaving 10 million pounds in the contingency fund I'm going to take a third of that and we'll do it was effectively an experiment to give a, a 700 pounds grant to people who want to get back into work but can't afford the upfront costs of childcare which I mean can be quite high and take that up to a thousand pounds for a loan for, I mean the, the grant would be if you're in the sort of six thousand seven thousand pound range um, but the loan up to people up to about forty thousand and to work with two hundred um, nurseries across London to extend their open time for about three hours. Now if that demonstrates it's easy to get back into work with that then I do think you can take that to someone like Ian Duncan Smith who I have many disagreements with but I think is generally concerned to try and get over this problem. If you can demonstrate it works then I think you've made a powerful case for the government giving the Mayor the freedom and the financial backing to drive this forward. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, I really like that policy. I think, it, um, I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I, I would want to ease the cost of childcare and also um, work with the councils to try to make sure that they um, also possibly do more clubs for children. Definitely the breakfast clubs, which I think have been an incredible success. And these government cuts now are actually um, bringing a lot of those to an end because the councils can't afford them. So there are pots of money the mayor can use. And this is something that we have... Um, several policies on. There's the, I wonder if it's a moment to talk about personal debt because one of the other problems as well is of course that more and more people are, are falling into personal debt because you know some of them aren't working or, or you know because of childcare or, or their jobs have gone in the public sector or whatever and um, one of the things, one of the areas I've really disagreed with this mayor is his, um, his allowing advertising for payday loan companies I think that's been a, a really damaging social thing to do. And so w we have to help with childcare, but we also have to protect people from falling into any more personal debt. <coughs> Excuse okay. me. Um, Brian. Again, we're into uh, territory which the mayor can influence, have influence over and can do something as far as City Hall is concerned, but maybe we need changes in national policy. So for a start, we need to get away from maternity leave and paternity leave. We just need to, uh, for families to decide themselves who it is who's going to stay home and look after the kids, uh, who is going to go to work. And, it doesn't, and, and so that maternity and paternity leave should be, should be shared um, equally between the parents if that's what they want or... Uh, you know, divided up between the two as necessary. I mean, Liberal Democrats have come in, uh, the, the coalition government has come in for a lot of criticism, but one of the things that it is doing, Sarah Tether, um, has, uh, uh, the Liberal Democrat uh, Minister for Children, has pushed, pushed through childcare uh, for the most underprivileged uh, families in London for, down to, uh, to two-year-olds. So uh, that's a positive mood. And I think as far as... You know, you have to read the small print with the, with the commitments that candidates up here give. My understanding is that Ken Livingstone's affordable childcare is limited to 1,500 people and a one-off payment of £700. Is that right? Yeah, it's an experiment. Yeah. A pilot. 
pilot, an experiment. Okay. Yeah. But it's a thing, Victoria. What? Well, of course, I'm fortunate enough that recently I've been chair of the Health and Public Services Committee at the GLA, and actually we've just published a report on absolutely this subject, tackling accessibility and affordable, uh, affordability of childcare. And this is a, a cross-party report where Val Shawcross and members of Ken's team worked, where we were seriously examining this important issue. Because you're absolutely right, the problems of paternal employment are a, a, a real issue. And so we've been looking at what worked and what hasn't worked. And let's be honest, Ken tried some things last time that didn't work, and we're trying some alternative things. But it is something that's going to go on being an issue. I think the important point here, and frankly I also speak as a governor of a children's centre in London's most deprived ward. So I'm absolutely aware of all the various issues about sure start, about what do we do, about flexibility, about hours, about breakfast clubs, about when you're opening, the travelling times. There's no point just saying, oh, well, you can have 15 hours a week. That's fine. But if your job share is two days a week and travelling time, that doesn't cover it. So if you're going to have 15 hours a week, it can't be allocated to you as five days at three hours a week, because that may not fit your working practices. So we've gone back to Boris and said, please, will you use your influence to say, let's use this money, let's use this allocation to suit the various ways that people are working, the way people are studying, in order that we can actually help people. And let's not just be rigid and prescriptive about this, but let's try and work with the providers in order to make sure that we can actually mm -hmm. address and make a difference. There's also the option, of course, of childcare vouchers. We're encouraging Ken to... Sorry. <laughs> We're encouraging on the various other systems that happened that Boris has brought in and also saying to employers that, okay, let's look at offering childcare vouchers, a tax-efficient way. That's my connection with Ken. Can I just... A tax-efficient way. No, I just, yes. want to, just want to finish. So I think the important thing is, yes, it's absolutely vital to help maternal employment. But there's no point doing it. There's not just one right way of doing it. There's going to be different ways that it suits different people. And certainly, we've got to lobby the government to be more flexible and to make sure the mayor uses his influence, which he can do. He's also, Boris has also promised himself to guarantee another 7,000 part-time jobs at City Hall. And I know from working at City Hall, just as Ken did highlight, there's a lot of people who work a variety of different work patterns in order to suit them. So absolutely, City Hall is a role model of how employers should work, and we need Boris to get out there and to use his influence so that other people also follow that example. So another 7,000 jobs promised by Boris at City Hall. Thank you. And I will let you back in, but just can you also answer this question? Because I thought you picked up an important point there about that you know the mayor can lobby government, can influence Absolutely. national government. Mm. I'd just like to hear very quickly from each of you, you know, one thing you'd like to see that you think national government could do to make your job easier here in London to tackle this maternal employment issue. What could they, what could they change nationally that would shift it? The really Brian, important. Well, the, I'll come back to you in a minute. You know, I, I would stick with the first answer that I gave yeah. around maternity leave and paternity leave. But in London, one of the things that we, we have a commitment to do if 
there is a Liberal Democrat mayor on the 3rd of May, is to introduce part-time season tickets. At the moment, if you only work two, three days a week, uh, there's no point in buying a weekly or a monthly season ticket. We think that those discounts should be available to those people who do work two or three days a week, and we would introduce uh, season tickets for part-time workers. Thank you, Jenny. If, if we were lobbying on one thing, I would probably lobby the government on increasing the number of free uh, hours of childcare in London, which I think is totally inadequate at the moment. Maternity, maternity leave, free childcare in London. I'll come back to you last before again. Um, I think most of the thing that had the biggest impact on women would be, and I've, I've already said, I mean, Ed Miliband said, what do you want if we get a Labour government, what extra powers? The one that's most important would be to make the mayor the body that sets the minimum wage for London. Mm. And I would transfer that six pound, just over six pound an hour minimum wage into our London living wage. So then you suddenly have an impact in every low pay job. That would mostly do more than anything else to help women get in back into work. It changes the balance for so many people um, about whether or not it's worth going back into work. Thank you. Perhaps, Victoria, if you can add to our list of actions which we know government's going to take forward because we've got the esteemed candidacy. I think the thing is that if you look at how childcare is provided and look at and talk to actual childcare providers, which we did, we talked to a number of people. This was a big study. It took you know, six months of mm -hmm. talking to people. The thing is their actual costs in London are higher. So it's not only the costs for you and I to use the provision, but it's actually their own costs. So actually we need to go back to government. If what are we going to do to lobby government is we're going to say to them, can you reweight the money that you give in order that childcare can be more affordable to London families? Because that will actually um, make a difference, because then people actually can afford to go back to work or to study. Great. Thank you very much. Um, okay, so now what we're going to do, thank you all for answering those, and it was really important, by the way, um, we really wanted, often women's organisations just don't get a chance to directly ask candidates, and we try to work together to do those questions, so thank you for all those, but now we're going to move to um, some questions just from the audience, I'm going to take them in batches of three at a time, um, and we're going to start, so there's, um, who's got mics, so one there where the mics, okay, so I'm going to take three to start with, there's a lady up there. There's a lady in the front and another lady at the balcony there with the white sleeve. So if you can first one there, two there, three there. So a question oh, sorry, for Victoria Borick, um, which is at the very start in your initial pitch, you gave some very impressive crime reduction figures, um, but they were general figures. So it would be very relevant to this particular audience if that overall 11% reduction in crime, whether we can give um, a gender breakdown for that, so do you know within that 11% the reduction for men and women would have been quite useful for this discussion, so if that could be made available in future that would be really helpful, thanks. Okay, I should have said sorry, um, ideally if you can direct your questions to all of the candidates that would be, unless you, something very particular that would be useful so they all get a chance. Um, what was the second question down there, sorry. Hi, I'm from the um, Women's Resource Centre, we're an organisation that support and women's organisations across London and across the country. And my question is that women's organisations in London give essential support to women, um, but they're losing funding, they're losing staff, and um, they're even having to close their services or even their entire organisation. Um, and as mayor, what long-term action would you take to make sure that life-saving organisations like those stay open? Okay, and then we have a question up here. Hi, my name is Suzanne Fogg. 
I'm a mother of two small children. I want my children to be safe when we cycle to school. 35,000 people have already signed the London Cycling Campaign's petition for streets that are safe and inviting for cyclists, like they are in Holland. More than half of those signatures are those of women, because we want safer design and cycling infrastructure. So as mayor, what are you going to do to improve street design that makes women feel and be safer on London streets? Okay, so we've got, I'm just gonna, thank you very much. I'm gonna recap very briefly. Um, any comments or any knowledge on the gender breakdown of, of violent crime? And if people can put, shed light on that, that's fine. Um, perhaps we can make it available um, after the after the meeting, but if people want to comment, there a very straightforward question from the Women's Resource Centre. There, what will you do about the continuing closure of really important women's organisations? Um, what's your plan for that? And also, what's your plan for responding to calls for a stronger uh, cycling infrastructure? I think on the basis that a lot of women want to, you know, practically do use that with their children. How are you going to make that safer? Um, I'm going to start with Jenny, and then I'm going to move down the table towards Ken. Thank you. On the issue of crime and women, in fact, uh, the, the Met's uh, statistics at the moment on rape, on, on clearing up rapes and so on, is absolutely appalling. They've gone backwards in the past couple of years, and they have no real, you know, they blame the Crown Prosecution Service, who say that they won't take cases forward if they don't, you know, if they can't guarantee the survivor will come to court and that sort of thing. But it basically the, the, the Met is failing women at the moment on, on particularly on rape on the Women's Resource Centre and long term action um, the Mayor has a limited amount of money that can be given to you know, help out organisations to, to do various things but it's very difficult to give them core funding because this is something that you can't commit over such a long time what the, what the Mayor can do we have some very beautiful spaces at City Hall um, you know, it's possible to, to give spaces for fundraising purposes and that sort of thing and, and sort of help of that kind help in kind rather than um, direct money sometimes uh, but you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for um, um, a, a well-written brief if you uh, if you want to put that in front of me now on cycling we've got a problem in London because the the mayor of London has done two things Boris Johnson has done two things that have in fact made cycling worse he has um, speeded up the traffic he's been calling it smoothing traffic flow but actually it means just getting more cars through faster this automatically has an impact on on pedestrians and cyclists who, you know, who, who will find the streets more difficult with faster moving traffic. The second thing he's done, he cut the road safety budget from 30 million to 10 million. Now, year on year, we were having falls in casualties on our roads of all kinds, and with a third of the budget, we are now seeing casualties rising on our roads, and, and uh, uh, Boris... Um, I mean, this is an argument we have every single time we're on a platform together because he thinks the roads are getting safer. And uh, my statements that they are not getting safer have now been fact-checked by Channel 4, and, uh, and I am right. There are more casualties. I mean, Brian's gone even further, if I can upstage you for a moment. He's saying, you know, Boris is killing people, so... <laughs> and I just oh, wish wow, I'd said it okay, first, but I have, <laughs> I have this evening... Right. Oh, and I, I would, I mean, I'm totally signed up to all the, the, the Dutch road design and, and all the necessary improvements. Okay. Um, so please respond to all or any of those questions. Don't forget to answer all three. Yes, maybe I should clarify. <clears throat> what I said was that the mayor's strategy of, incre of increasing traffic flow is killing cyclists. That's what I said. Uh, I don't think Boris actually goes around with a shotgun and <laughs> picks off cyclists. Um, 
No, I mean, we, you know, London Cycling Campaign, for example, put, got a, a, an architect to redesign uh, the junction at the north side of Blackfriars Bridge. They were redid, TfL were redesigning it anyway. And the mayor, com TfL, completely ignored it because it would slow down traffic flow. There is a junction at King's Cross where two lanes on one side go down to a single lane. London Cycling Campaign said you've got to have one lane on each side, otherwise someone's going to get killed. And what happened? Somebody got killed. So we have, you know, I am absolutely committed to calming traffic so that it is, the roads are much safer uh, for, uh, for pedestrians and cyclists. And we know a disproportionate number of women are, cyclists are being killed because they obey red signals, unlike the mayor. Oh, there's a video to prove it on YouTube. Um, <laughs> and they get, therefore, they get, you know, they, 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 they become victims of, of lorry drivers who, you know, because they're in the blind spot, because they, they actually stay at the red light uh, for longer. And we have got to do something about that. And it is about separating as far as we can cyclists from lorries in particular. Um, as far as, uh, I'm going in reverse order here, as far as uh, the funding for, for um, women's groups and that sort of thing, it's absolutely essential that we, that we do all we can to help that. As, you, as uh, uh, I'm sure you know, almost all the funding comes from local authorities. Local authorities are being squeezed. But the mayor has a responsibility here to actually stand up and, and, and shame uh, local authorities who are withdrawing funding because they're, it's patchy. Some local authorities are managing very well to continue to fund uh, women's groups uh, and other uh, charities and other organisations, and other local authorities are almost making a point of withdrawing funding you know, where it really hurts just to make a political point. Well, I'm sorry, uh, the, the, you know, women's issues are far more important to me than scoring political points, and, and therefore we need to try and, as mayor, put as much pressure on local authorities as possible. I have done a campaign as part uh, of uh, this election on rape. Uh, we have put out some hard-hitting uh, leaflets. Uh, there is, uh, we've done an online campaign about the appalling record of the police dealing with uh, rape in particular. But there needs to be a wholesale culture change in the police in terms of attitude towards women. Uh, unfortunately, it's what comes when you have a large, bureaucratic, male-dominated, macho culture, uh, and uh, we have got to take serious steps to address that culture if the police are going to actually implement this very good strategy and actually uh, change uh, what happens to victims uh, women uh, of, of violence against women when they report issues to the police. Thank you very much. Victoria. Thank you. Well, certainly. Um, let's go to the bicycling first. Um, um, you're quite right. TfL are going back to re-examine a number of junctions, regrettably, after some deaths, and every death in London is one too many. But, you know, on the other side, you know, as I wobble along on my Boris bike, I take care. And I have to say to all of you, I don't go. I don't go on the inside of lorries because I know how dangerous it is. And we know. I mean, frankly, we've all seen these terrible deaths of people squashed, and it is really horrible. And I'm very pleased. So it's their fault, is it? The cyclists' fault. And I'm saying to you, it's absolutely horrible and we all need to take care. We all need to respect each other on the road. I know that driving a bike is dangerous and therefore 
we need to make the roads safer and we need to look at what we can do in order, I, mean, I know this is going to be unpopular, but we do have to respect each other out there. I know, I'm okay. not disputing. Actually, if audience members can refrain, I'm sure the panel can um, pick each other up. Well, look, I'm sorry to say, but we all have a responsibility out there. I'm not for one moment suggesting that you take your children on the inside. I'm sure you're much more sensible than that. I absolutely agree. But regrettably, some of the worst accidents we have seen have been from that. It's not excusable. It's not excusable from TfL. It's not excusable from anybody. It's not excusable from the lorries. But what I'm saying is we therefore need to make sure that we, those of us who cycle around know that we have to take care and we have to improve. And if we can move... Right, no, thank you. I think I'm you've, sorry. I think you've had quite enough time on this one, Victoria. If you can move on to the other two questions, which was um, what about the funding for these organisations? Um, which we're seeing a decimation across the London virus. You know, it's Trixie yeah. mirrors and everything else. <coughs> okay, um, unfortunately, as was said to you earlier, uh, the Mayor doesn't have a lot of direct funding, but certainly if we, and I'm sure you can make representation to any of us, we can certainly try and help you get funding from your local council and see, because you're absolutely right, um, keeping groups going, sharing resources with other charity groups is certainly uh, you know, really important. I don't, you know, beat about the bush here. We've all seen cuts across, and I do, I do appreciate that many groups um, have had their funding cut, which I appreciate, which isn't very good. News. And finally, Ken, if we can come to you on all of them, right. or just I a mean, couple. On cycling safety, the obvious thing to do, one real help, because a, a disproportionate number of the deaths are HGVs turning left and running over cyclists, is to have cyclists at the front and getting a five seconds clear to pull away before. Now I think the Mayor may need to get the Government on board to make those changes in the structure, um, but I think we should. There is a real problem with this, which is that the police are currently investigating TfL for corporate manslaughter for the death of a cyclist at King's Cross. We suspect they may go on to do the same thing with the two cyclists who died at Bow um, Junction, because they're local cycling groups spent 18 months in negotiation with TfL to put safety measures in. When they went up to the Mayor's office, the Mayor's office took them out because they impeded traffic flow. And I just find this, when I was Mayor we had a priority at TfL, the first priority in everything was pedestrian and cyclist safety. That was removed. What sort of signal does that send all the way down the, the food chain in there? Um, and we will reinstate that. And if I'm elected mayor, I, we will appoint um, Jenny Jones to the Board of Transport for London with the remit to control the cycling strategy. Um, because you she said can, I could terrorise them. Uh, yeah, yeah. You should see her when she's being scary. It will work. Then you come to what can we do with charities? And women's groups that are being closed and uh, a whole load of things like that. I mean, I employed an economist the last six months to go over the existing £14.5 billion budget to find the money to pay to restore the police numbers and make the fares cut. We've only looked at a fraction of the budget. Anyone in public life who's looked at a budget of £14.5 billion is going to know there's stuff in there where I am certain we can find savings, we can redirect. Now, I'm not promising to do any of that, eh, because we're only making promises we're absolutely certain we can keep. But I will be amazed if, 
a year into there, bringing people in to really go through those budgets, we haven't found ways of finding savings within that vast 14.5 billion to actually help a lot of quite small groups outside, faith groups as well, mm -hmm. who can reach kids. Um, I set targets each year for savings within the bureaucracy. They were always found, so you kept upping them. And then on crime figures, hey, there's been a, a real increase in rape, there's been a real increase in um, mugging, and a real increase in burglary. And four years ago, Boris and Brian and myself went from studio to studio saying, if we haven't cut the, the rate of crime by 20%, we won't seek re-election. And we said that because in my final year, we'd reached a 6% fall in one year. I have to say, if you have three commissioners of police in four years, <coughs> this is not going to improve the capacity of the organization, let alone losing 2,100 police. Um, I think those rate figures will come down as we get the police numbers back up and get a stable working relationship with this commissioner that hopefully will last the whole four years. Can I come back very briefly so I can take another I have to come back on Victoria or I'm going to burst. Um, yes, we all have to take care, but if we are in charge of a huge lorry that can kill people, we need to take a lot more care than a cyclist does. Okay, right. I think we're going to um, move on from that. I have time for three more questions, but can you please keep the questions very brief and also candidates the answers very brief and then that would be great. So we have a gentleman up there with the stripy jumper. Um, I'm going to take another gentleman down there and then um, the lady there with the black cardigan in the middle. Did you? Yeah. Spot them. Yeah. Number one, number two, <coughs> and number three. Up there. Okay, thanks. Um, the candidates, and indeed a lot of the audience, may have heard about the situation of the Women's Library, which holds the papers of the Fawcett Society, the Six Point Group, and even allegedly Boris's gran, Millicent Garrett Fawcett, <laughs> uh, which he's welcome to come and view at any time if he can find time in his schedule. Um, <laughs> it currently faces an uncertain future and may be mothballed in uh, December. Would the candidates support, do the candidates support the campaign to save the library as it currently stands? And what would the candidates do to ensure that access to education and culture is treated as a right and not a privilege. Okay, second one. No. Sorry, over there. Sorry, sorry. And then. Thank you. No problem. Yeah. We know. We know. Sorry, yes. Um, over the last couple of months, we've seen a very sort of worrying condemnation of lots of women's um, uh, rights to have an abortion. There's been some very, very scary sort of far-right American-style tactics employed, you know, women being filmed going into abortion clinics, things like that. Um, and very much, of course, uh, encouraged by uh, the likes of Nadine Doris, of course, Victoria's Conservative Party colleague. First of all, I invite Victoria to condemn Nadine Doris for the sort of bile she's uh, provoking. <laughs> Um, but I'm interested to know from all the candidates what they'd do to, you know, protect women's right to control their bodies um, and to, you know, prevent this sort of hatred on London streets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lady over there. 
Hi, uh, my name is Bonnie Turner, and um, I'm really concerned about the cost of housing in London at the moment. In my immediate circle of friends, I've, there's four of us who've had our rent, uh, the land, landlords have tried to increase our rent between 25 and 40 per cent um, since January this year. Um, and, you know, we are all single women, um, work, you know, with fairly modest salaries. We have good savings, but we've got, we don't have enough to get a mortgage, and yet we have too much in savings to qualify for the shared ownership scheme. We don't feel like we have many options at all, and we feel, feel like we're being, um, you know, unfairly dis we feel like we're, you know, in limbo, really. We don't really have many options. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how can rents continue to go up at that rate when salaries aren't going up at that rate? Okay. Yep. So three excellent <coughs> questions. I'm going to go the other way down the panel now. Um, just to recap, um, the first one was another sneaky two-parter, but I think I'd allow them both. The first one, yes, the Women's Library. Um, if you haven't been go, um, it's amazing. You can actually see the purse that Emily Pankhurst was carrying when she got knocked over by the horse, um, among other things. But it's incredible, and it ha it's an incredible place. So what would you do to save the library, which includes the Fawcett Library? Um, and specifically, more generally, how would you improve um, access to education as a right and not a privilege? The second question was on, I think, probably um, candidates' um, position on women's um, existing right to choose and, and how you would um, perhaps defend existing rights, particularly, I think, in a more aggressive climate um, around um, perhaps reducing those. Um, and thirdly, um, there was a, it's kind of a general cost on, um, so it would be good to hear generally on your policy housing, specifically, um, I think thoughts on how that would impact on women given the context of, of, of this debate because we could go very broadly on housing. Um, I'm going to start with Ken and move across. Well I think the, the most important thing on rents grows out of what I was saying about setting up a, a, a mayor's lettings agency to work with good landlords. The National Landlords Association has supported this so of course the lettings agencies aren't so happy about it. We've also got uh, about a third of the landlords are really very grim, you know, they're doing things in terms of physical intimidation, not repaying um, deposits, not doing repairs. We just got to start aggressively pursuing that. I mean, there's a very good, half the people in Germany rent. There's a good legal code that's made that a decent and reputable market, and we'll look to see what we can draw out of that and try and persuade our government to start regulating this. But the key thing is you've got to build more homes. Rents are going up because the supply has been devastated. And my biggest disagreement with Tony Blair, apart from the war, is he continued Thatcher's ban on building council housing. We were building 50,000 homes a year for rent by local authorities in this city until Thatcher came to power. And we need to start doing that again. Brian will tell you we've identified land enough for a third of a million homes, a 10-year program at least of building 35,000 homes a year. I think virtually all of us are committed to it, um, and we'll press ahead with that. Um, on the question of Nadine, of course I'm delighted to denounce Nadine for almost everything. I am <laughs> And I do worry about this because I think there's a, I mean, the Tea Party movement in America is looking to establish its influence around the world. And uh, uh, some elements, not by no means a, a large number yet of, of Tories, I think, are getting caught up with this. Now, I have to say, I think it must be that a woman has a right to go and get medical advice without being Harris. And if I'm elected, I will ask our lawyers to look at whether or not an offence isn't being committed by the people doing this, an offence of harassment, yeah. and if necessary, we'll have police out there to arrest the people that are harassing women going in. Yeah. Um, on
on the, on the library and the rights or privileges, effectively that question goes right to the heart of the government's strategy. Do we have to make these devastating cuts to lift ourselves out of the economic crisis? All I'd say is look at Obama. Obama was elected saying, I will not make cuts or increase taxes until we've recovered all the GDP that's been lost in the banking crisis. They now have. We're still in, I mean, the economy has flatlined since Osborne was allowed to start playing with it. And <laughs> at some point, they've got to realize this isn't working. Debt isn't coming down. We need to put people back to work. You take them off benefits, you get them paying taxes, that's how you pay down the deficit. This constantly driving cuts is leading us into the situation Greece is in. We may not be able to get out of it. I don't know what the GDP growth figures are going to be on Wednesday. I should imagine they'll all say it's wonderful if growth's been, you know, 0.1%, you know, but that would still mean we're still no better off than we were two and a half years ago. I mean, we've got to change the strategy, then we don't have to devastate services in the way that's being done at the moment. This is not a solution to our economic crisis. I mean, it's not just what Obama's done, it's what Roosevelt did 80 years ago. When, I mean, I don't know, Danny Alexander, I think his, his last job before he became an MP was collecting litter in the Cairngorms. I'm not certain he's got his head round economic strategy. Thank you, Ken. Um, so, if the others can, I'm sorry, um, uh, if the others can um, keep their comments as brief as possible. Sorry. Well, let's do quickly then to the abortion one. I certainly agree that women should have a right to seek medical advice and decide with the, the, what they're going to do with their own bodies is without dispute. So, I, that's a very quick question. Talking about housing, which I think is obviously a really important issue to all, um, all Londoners, everybody has agreed around this table and others, that we need to continue to build more housing. <coughs> Boris has already built 50,000 affordable homes and has promised to double that if he gets back in. He's upgraded um, over 40,000 council houses to the decent home standard. He's also made available another 20,000 homes for social and affordable rent, and he's pushing his first steps programme, and I'm speaking very quickly because I'm conscious that we want to get through that we're very conscious that are both a, both a renting and also part by. So you're absolutely right, Boris and, let's be honest, the other candidates are very, very keen to ensure that we do actually, and you're not going to do it unless you increase supply. But then your other problem is that if we keep on building in London, we keep on building on London's infrastructure. And a very interesting debate would be, what are we going to do with the constant pressures we put on London's infrastructure, and how actually are we going to affect the quality of our lives? And that's a, you know, I think it's something we've actually got to look at in a, in a, in a much deeper way. Yes, of course, we can go on building houses, taller blocks, more houses, making London more dense. But actually, what sort of London do we actually want to live in? And that's a debate for another time, but I think it's a very interesting one. But yes, you're absolutely right. In the immediate time, we do have to do something about both rent part by and making more housing available. And of course, the last question was the library. Well, I certainly think libraries are fantastic. I think they're the most environmentally friendly way of keeping our, our books and our collections. I'm a great fan of libraries. I use the library all the time. I encourage my family to go to libraries. And I wish you every success with saving yours, because I think libraries are a fantastic legacy. <laughs> OK. Um, Brian. Um, whether or not I am mayor after the 3rd of May, I want to come and see this library and put my personal weight, which will be considerable if I'm mayor, behind your campaign to save the library. Um, 
In terms of general right to education, it, is, it was a, a, a Liberal Democrat promise in the, in the manifesto to have a pupil premium so that more money went behind uh, children from poor backgrounds. That has been implemented, and it means millions more for every borough in London because of the uh, high levels of deprivation in London. Uh, of course, of course I support women's right to abortion and to be able to access that without any harassment whatsoever. And on this occasion, I agree with Ken. And any, any uh, campaign whatsoever that creates hostility or hatred is something that we should absolutely condemn, no matter what uh, the aims of that uh, particular uh, campaign is. As far as... <laughs> Housing is concerned, um, you know, we have to listen to the question here. And what Bonnie said was affordable housing isn't really affordable mm. um, to the vast majority of Londoners. We need a massive social house building program, or in old money, council house building. The mayor from May will be the biggest landowner in London. That means that that land can be used for social housing. 60% of the cost of building new homes in London is the land cost. Mm -hmm. Take the land cost out. We can build decent homes for Londoners at 40% of the normal cost of building homes in London, and therefore we can rent them at 40% of the normal rent. And that is, that is where the emphasis should be. A lot of that land, all of, well, there is room in London for 360,000 new homes on brownfield sites, not back gardens, not green spaces. And a lot of that land is in and around central London, where... Homes can be built for people who work in the hotel industry, for example, which tend to be poorly paid, for nurses and other people, where it can be built very close to where they need to work so that we don't put pressure on the infrastructure. Um, and we need to also, uh, of course, develop, uh, make sure that we maintain and develop industry in every part of London so that people can walk and cycle to work and not have to travel uh, long distances. That's the answer to the problem. It's no good saying, oh, well, not in my backyard. I don't want all these house houses built where I live. The most important thing is to give every Londoner a decent place to live mm -hmm. that they can genuinely afford full stop. Thank you very much. Jenny. Thank you. On the Women's Library, I didn't know about it. I'd be happy to help. Um, if you give me the details, I'll send them by email. I do what I can. On uh, access to education, of course, this coalition government has made things much, much tougher for people to, um, to, to, to get a proper education. Scrapping the EMA was a huge mistake, and I think any future Mayor of London should be lobbying the government, whoever it is, um, to, to, to get that back. On um, abortion, happy to condemn <laughs> Nadine Doris's um, remarks. What a stupid set of comments she has made. Unbelievable. And um, I, I am, I am pro-choice. I think it's, you know, women do not <coughs> have abortions lightly. It is not a form of contraception. It is uh, their right um, if they have a pregnancy that they can't, can't cope with. Now, on the, um, on the housing, I can't see. Oh, yeah. Um, it, this is a really complex problem. And, and my colleagues up here, or my opponents, sorry, I'm just getting a bit too collegiate there. Um, <laughs> My opponents have, um, have put forward some of the ideas. We do need to build social housing. We need to build truly affordable housing because this Mayor of London has actually um, expanded the concept of what affordable is to, to, you know, to, 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 to far too high levels. 
We also need to find other ways of um, improving the public rented sector. We need some sort of way of keeping rents down. Newham has an idea about um, actually, uh, actually getting all of their landlords in the borough to, to sign up to a various code. I mean, there's all sorts of legislation, but it's never enforced. Mm, you know, it, It's there, but not used. Um, and the new pilot looks as if that could work, and so that needs to be extended. Um, there's also other ways of doing things. For example, we ought to be lobbying the government on a concept called land value taxation, whereas it, it, it just changes the whole... Um, the whole view of how to get money out of out of property, and there's also community land trusts, which Boris Johnson mm -hmm. promised faithfully to introduce a network of across London, and hasn't even introduced one. There's a sort of semi-community land trust that's been developed, but this is where a community is given a piece, given or buys or or leased a piece of land, and they develop it. They develop the sort of housing that they need in their area, uh, and, and whatever other amenities. And then the houses, the flats can be sold, but the land stays forever with the community. And it means that they can keep the price of the housing to a reasonable level. Because, of course, all affordable housing is only affordable once, the first time the first person buys it. And after that, they get this huge um, present mm -hmm. from selling it at the market rate. So it's a really complex problem. I can bore for Britain on this. So um, I, I will stop now. But all of the ideas you've heard are good, but we need more and more ideas. Thank you very much. Now, unfortunately, so I mean, unfortunately, we are now um, out of time of questions from the floor. Um, but, I mean, it's lovely. It was very positive, I think, to um, end. I mean, there was obviously not complete agreement there across the panel, but I do think I sense certainly consistent support for the library and certainly um, that there's just no place in a civilised society for the types of um, scare tactics that we've been seeing um, around right. abortion clinics and health clinics. So it's really good to see that there's been a number of issues tonight where I think there's cross-party um, support. I'm just going to, um, first of all, um, just going to throw in, show a, a curveball to the candidates as my last chair's question. It's very brief. We know that Boris has, has Fawcett lineage. He was talking about that earlier. Um, very quickly, who's an important woman in your life that inspires you or would inspire you as mayor? And I'm going to start with you, Jenny, and go back. Thank you. Well, I want to say first that Boris not being here is shameful. <coughs> he has <Yes>. been accused. <laughs> He's been accused of sexism against the women assembly members. Um, at City Hall, and he's not here to explain, you know, I mean, he, he wrote back a re very robust re reply to us saying it absolutely wasn't sexist. I want to tell you now, he is sexist. Thank you. Um, on um, yes, on women. That, <laughs> so that, Boris, probably not your inspiration. No. But um, a woman, a woman, a woman well, yes, yeah. I, I immediately thought of my mum, who worked really, really hard all her life and, and never got any sort of recognition. But um, I, uh, can I have two? My, 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 one of my daughters, well, both my daughters, actually, they are... Okay, that's three. You'll be in real trouble if you pick that's one. That's three. I know, I know, I know. Sorry, sorry. That's three. My okay. daughters. My You're daughters. going over your quota. Thank you. Brian. Um, my poor 92-year-old mum, she gets wheeled out on these occasions. Um, my mum, two years ago, um, fell over at Keep Fit Class over a chair doing a fancy move that were dancing thing uh, broke her hip 
and um, a year later she was back at that class. She lives independently on her own. She cooks me Sunday lunch when I go around to see her. And I tell you what, uh, whatever the adversity, we lost Dad about 10 years ago, whatever the adversity, she just picks herself up and she gets on with it. And she is an absolute inspiration to me. I keep telling her that, that uh, you know, it's not fair the way that we don't get equal airtime and all the rest of it. And she said, I told you when you were seven, life isn't fair. You just have to get on with it. Okay. <clears throat> Two mothers. Victoria. Well, certainly, I have to say, I unfortunately lost my mother aged 95 last year, but you're absolutely right. When you listen to the hardships that that generation faced, what they did in the war, how they coped, and all the various things that they did for all of us who've come followed them, <coughs> I agree, I'm also very fortunate. And looking back through history, I think all those women who fought for women's rights, both over here and abroad, I certainly commend, whether you're going to go for suffragettes or any of the others that have really put themselves forward. So I'm sorry tonight I've not been your favourite candidate, but I can <laughs> assure you that actually I do I believe it's very important to highlight <laughs> women's issues and therefore I wish us all as the sisterhood every success. Thank you Victoria. And finally um, Ken, your... Um, well I'm, I'm tempted to say my mum as well, my mum's dad because I was born in 1945, I grew up in a household where my parents were equal uh, every decision was taken together, the work was all shared. That was so unusual for the 1950s. It meant I grew up with a, a set of values that fitted in quite well when the uh, 60s upheavals came along. Um, <laughs> but if you were to look at some, I think I saw that picture of Obama in the bus where Rosa Parks started the challenge. And can you imagine what it would be like to be an absolutely dirt poor black woman in the heart of the deep south and you're on your own and you sit in that seat and say mm. bugger off I'm changing the world <laughs> and no guarantee you're even going to survive you know that's courage yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. What a, a positive note to end on to remind us of the huge importance and power of individual women's lives. Thank you to all of the candidates for answering those questions and I think really bringing it down to the ground and talking about women for a change in their policies. So I really would just like another round of applause for all of our candidates for taking part. Thank you very much. I'd also like to make a big thank you to all of you for coming along and by way of thanks and also to continue the debate, um, ourselves and LSE would like to invite you to a very nice drinks reception right now in the atrium. Um, it's um, directly outside uh, the reception to here. Um, all of you are invited to that reception. Come and have a drink, continue the debates further. I'd also, before you spill out, I'd uh, like to say it's been wonderful to hear these commitments tonight. This is just the beginning. If we're going to change the time, we have to hold these candidates and whoever is elected mayor to account for the next three or four years. This is just the beginning. If you want to do your part, you can get online, you can sign the petition that we've already got up there saying, will you commit to keep thinking about women if you are mayor? It will make a real difference if you all go and sign that petition. Because trust me, candidates, this is just the beginning and we will not take platitudes any longer. Thank you very much. Please come and have a drink. Thank you.